Welcome to an episode of Fight the Burnout, season technically four, you can't call it, uh, and it's going to be all about uh, law enforcement and first responders. So if you're wanting and you're aspiring to be one, uh, definitely listen up. If you are one already, definitely listen up. Uh, and if you are somebody who is, you know, as what we call as, as, as law enforcement civilians, uh, then, you know, you're going to learn a lot from those that have to be, uh, that are under some pre some major pressure. You know, it's a life or death situation half the time that we get into. Uh, and so we're going to talk about a lot of different things today. Uh, but most importantly, obviously, the topic is all around burnout and uh, how we can prevent it. Uh, today, we have a very special guest, uh, Christy. She is, uh, she's done 12 years uh, as law enforcement in a small town and, you know, she's gone through some stuff uh, because of it uh, and learned a lot from it. Uh, she's going to tell us all about that and her journey today as well. I have heard it a little bit and I'm very excited about it. So before we get started, make sure you get a pen and paper, you get ready to take that one thing away. Just look for one thing out of this that you can take away and start implementing today. So, Christy, as I like to do uh, all the time, is get you to introduce yourself because there's no be person better to introduce themselves than the, the person themselves. So, Christy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, law enforcement background, uh, when you started, why you started, and then uh, we'll kind of carry on through there on what's, what's you know around the burnout type side of stuff. All right. Thanks, Chris. Um, so I just recently retired after having a 20 year career. Um, 17 of those years were um, active duty. The last three um, I had to medically retire. So my last three years were working in an office um, supervising civilians. Um, however, after 17 years, um, I do have a lot of um, you know, things that I learned, things that I wish I would have learned earlier on. I worked for 13 years in a small town and was feeling really a lot of burnout at that point. And then my husband and I made a move to a different state and I went to work for a different agency. I actually went from working from a city agency to a state agency, which brought also its own set of complications and problems. Um, However, though, it, you know, it's all the same, basically, wherever you're working for, we have the same issues, the same battles that we fight, um, just different areas. And so I have also been a firefighter and an EMT. So I kind of have that whole little round of being a first responder. And I have always been one. I started off lifeguarding at a very young age. So I, I think I've just kind of always been in that service industry, wanting to help people take care of people. And it was no different when I went to the academy. Um, and I kind of had a different motivation for going to the academy. I was recently divorced at that time. And I knew that I needed some kind of career to take care of my children. And I didn't necessarily see myself as being a cop because I have more of an empathetic nature. And I kind of saw myself as more of a firefighter. Um, helping people versus law enforcement. However, it was law enforcement that that I ended up doing. And it was a rewarding career. Um, 
it took its toll on me mentally, physically, spiritually. Um, I do suffer with some PTSD. I've um, had a suicide attempt. I've gone to rehab. Um, and I have been in some pretty dark places um, throughout my career. And looking back on it, I know that had some things have changed or been introduced to me earlier on in my career as far as how to better take care of my mental health, um, how to talk about things and not get caught up in that stigma that it's, you know, showing a weakness to talk about things. I believe that the trajectory of my career could have been a little bit different, mm. um, but it wasn't. And now I have a huge passion for reaching out, trying to help first responders who are going through addictions, who are going through mental health things, and trying to work with them to show them that, for one, is it is okay to ask for help, and two, there is help out there, and three, they're going through so much now that there's going to be so many damaged people, and that four, as administrations, things need to make some changes. So those are my passions and those are my new battles that I'm fighting now. Yeah, so. that's, that's amazing. That's amazing that you can also articulate it. You can see it all. Um, and I, you know, praise you for that because yeah, as law enforcement, we, we don't talk about stuff, um, all yeah. that much. um, you know, and, um, we, we, we always, uh, you know, as a, as a, when I was active, it was, uh, you know, we are the, and, you know, people put it, and I've kind of related a little bit to it, you know, we are the person that everybody looks up to. So, you know, we, we, we keep that persona, that image, that identity, that we are the strong ones, that we can't be anything else. Uh, and those that can identify the fact that they, they, they can be other things and they need to be other things uh, is, is massive. Uh, I just want to touch on a few things that you, you brought up that kind of sparked a little stuff for me is... Obviously, we're, we're talking about how we can, you know, assist first responders and law enforcement to either get through that burnout and start enjoying their career again, or yeah. also, um, you know, if they're not enjoying it, get out of it and the, the options that you have out of it, but, or if somebody wanted to get into it, you know, what are some, the key things to kind of shift that? So we'll go through a few of those, but you, you hit on a thing that kind of hit something for me and when I'm coaching people to get into law enforcement or even ones that are in it is the whole reasons why they joined. Uh, and yeah. you know, you said, you said you identified as a firefighter, but you joined the police because of the, um, what I heard was because of, you know, for your family, it was, uh, it sounded like you were saying it was more secure than, than as a firefighter. Uh, but yet you were drawn towards firefighting for helping. What was the reason that you went law? What was the real deep reason, the inside reason you actually went for law enforcement instead of fire? It there was only one reason, and that was the small town I lived in had four full-time firefighters versus twenty-seven officers, and those four were in it for the long run. And so I knew that that was not going to happen. They were young. They were, you know, it was a small department. We helped them out a lot. And I was a volunteer firefighter, but I knew that I would never have the opportunity to get in where we lived, but I was able to secure a position on the police force because it was, you know, six times larger. So gotcha. okay, that cool. was basically, yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's that's, that's awesome. Thing. Thanks for that, Clary. And then you also said you just came out of a, out of a divorce and needed something different. Did I hear that right? Um, not. I needed something um, full time and more of a career um, than just a job because I knew that it was mainly going to be on me to support those kids and provide insurance and stability and a career versus just a a job somewhere so gotcha so why why yeah. was it law enforcement and not a career in something else i'm curious uh mostly again small town where i lived um, my family was to help me take care of my kids and i didn't have a lot of options um other than like the prison or you know working for the city in a different aspect but um that was the best paying um you know, that I was going to be able to provide the highest pain, um, the benefits were good. And it was just a matter of, I knew that it had stable hours, you know, I could pretty much project when I was going to work. And I had family help. And so I couldn't just leave that town to go somewhere else. So gotcha, gotcha. So what did you do to prepare yourself to get into like, to get you know, for that police career? I put my application in and three weeks later I was at the academy. I oh, didn't, sorry. had never even been on a ride along. I had seen and been around them because I was a volunteer firefighter. So, and I knew a lot of them because it's a small town and I went to school with them. And the, the sergeant that hired me, I had actually like dated in high school and we were friends. And, you know, one of the other sergeants was my softball coach in high school. And so it was a small town. The ties were there. And, you know, I my background flew through. I hadn't ever had any issues. So um, I put my app in and the next day I did all my testing. And like I said, three weeks later, I walked into the police academy not knowing anything other than holy crap what did i just do so <laughs> how old were you i had just turned 30. just turned 30. okay so you weren't super young yeah. but you know you're no you're, i wasn't super, you know, you young. super young so you had life experience in that as well and then yeah so okay so like uh, before we get into kind of what you would do to, you know differently if you were going to tell your 30 year old self something uh yeah what is it that you know so so you're at you're at academy you're there what um at what stage, looking back on it, at what stage did you start to get affected by the job in some way? I would say probably around the fifth or sixth year mm -hmm. into it. Um, you know, I, I guess it's kind of that honeymoon phase, the first few years, and you're learning and you're training and you're playing with cool things and toys and, you know, the adrenaline is there. And then... Um, and then it just kind of starts to hit. And again, the small town that I grew up, that I went to school with everybody. And I I can remember the very first thing that I noticed was going to be a change. I got home from the academy and I had played softball, co-ed softball with this team for like five years. And I came to the softball park and I brought my stuff into the dugout. And my team basically looked at me and said, um, we just want to tell you that, you know, you're no longer part of our team. And I was like, why? 
And they said, because we don't want your new friends hanging around because we like to drink in the dugout. And it's a city law that you can't have alcohol in the, on the field. And so that was my first experience of, holy crap, my life has just been turned upside down. You know, for these people that I had been friends with, that I had played ball with, and now they didn't want me there because they didn't want my new, quote, friends hanging around and seeing them, you know, drinking or, you know, whatever. And so that was my first realization that, things are going to be way different now. And, and it really shocked me. Like I didn't feel like I had changed and I hadn't, but my, my life had changed and I had put myself in a new position and a lot of people didn't want that. It wasn't per se personal against me per se, but just because of my choice of careers. Mm. So, yeah. So you had that, you had that quite instantly on, uh, with that. Yeah. How'd you start to deal with that? It, it was tough. Um, I quickly saw uh, the people that I knew were going to support me. And then I saw others that I really thought were friends start to kind of shy away. And I started to realize that my friends were now first responders, cops. I didn't really have friends that I hung out with. I would go to the bar and people would stay away from me because now they thought I was there to maybe call out to my other officers working to say, hey, keep an eye on so-and-so, they're in here drinking, when I was just wanting to be there to have fun, you know, mm. but now it's like, even though I was not working and I was not in uniform, now it was, why is she here? What is she up to? What is she doing? Can we trust her? And so I noticed that my, and I was single at the time, you know, I noticed that that had all changed too. And friends that I had grown up with and hung out with now didn't want to hang out with me because they didn't, you know, trust me and, or did what they, I was up to. Say, when, did they ever say that to your face? Um, eventually later they did, not at the beginning, they just kind of were, you know, just kind of played it off like, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to go over here and talk to so-and-so or, you know, sorry, I didn't call you back. I had such and such come come up. But when it started happening continually, you know, I, I realized right away that I was being blown off and and I started to figure it out. So, yeah, gotcha. How many people yeah. in the town that you grew up in, how many people were lived there? Uh, it was about 11,000. Awesome. Very, so it was very, pretty very small. small. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I had been born and raised there and gone to school there and, you know, I had my family there. And so, and then there's constantly a, you know, patrol car parked in my front yard. So everywhere I went, then it was just, I, I was always, you know, on duty, whether it was people that I had arrested that I saw at Walmart or the grocery store, or now I had this new group of people coming up saying, hey, can I ask your advice about something? If I got pulled over and this or this, you know, and then it's like, I just want to leave that 
at work, not when I'm with my kids and stuff. So it's either a group of people wanting to avoid me now because of my career or a group of people now wanting, you know, legal advice because of my career yeah, <laughs> or how do I get out of this ticket or how do I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been out so, of the job four years and I still get people asking me the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So I realized pretty early on too, that I was no longer my identity anymore as Christy when I was not working. I was the, the cop, Christy, the cop everywhere, 24 seven. I couldn't. What kind of toll did that take on you? It, it took a huge toll. I didn't realize how bad it was quite early on, you know, but then it started to really take its toll because then I started to lose myself. I started to forget who I was. And honestly, when I had to medically retire three years ago, I went into a really dark place because I didn't know who I was anymore. When you took that title off of my name, which at the time I was a sergeant, when I was no longer an officer or a sergeant in front of my name, I I didn't know anything about myself. It was, I'm going to start like crying. I didn't, I went dark. I went deep because I didn't know who I was mm. because for 17 years, that's what it became. And it's taken me four years to finally just be like, hey, this is me. Yes, that's what I was. But, you know, this is who I am. That's who I always was, even though I lost that for many years, you know, and it took a lot of therapy and counseling and to get that back because I did lose my identity. Uh, and so. it, it's it's hard, isn't it? And you can you can hear it in your voice. And so I, I want to thank you for you know being vulnerable there as well because that that shows strength and it also shows that you know there's still it still cuts deep and it still does with me as well. I was just talking to somebody earlier today about uh, just the other night I was having some whiskey and some and a cigar with a, with some guys across the road and I was telling my story and literally same as you are now just like tears flowing and i was just like wow there's yeah. so so and it is because your identity gets tied up in it and you know i've done a lot of work with figuring out how you know to to help prevent that that your identity becomes that badge because yeah you know, it, it, it is a struggle if you ever want to leave or if you're ever thinking about leaving or if things are going on and you're like wow this is me i can't do anything else i'm not anything else uh and yeah. If we can, can kind of help that, you know, being a city of 11,000 people makes it even harder because <laughs> yeah. I, I used to, I used to run into people that I knew and I live in a city here and I worked in a city of however, uh, one and a half million people, I think it was. So it was a little bit different, wow. but, you know, and the suburb yeah. that I worked in had less than, you know, less than, uh, you know, had more than 11,000 people in it. But, um, if you had to, let's, let's look at, let's look at what you've learned from it now, because I think this is the key thing for those that are listening, for those that are in that, um, you know, want to get out or that also, you know, especially for those that are wanting to get into the, um, you know, frontline work, uh, in your circumstances, because we can only talk about those, uh, in your circumstances and what was going on for you, what would be some stuff that you wish you had learned before you put that application in? so that you you know so that it was it it didn't get to where it did as such right 
Well, and and I honestly, you know, I don't want to play the female card, but I am going to play it a little bit. Just that being one of only two females in a department of 27, you know, I was, it was just a constant battle anyways to prove that I was worthy to be there, to prove that I had the skills to be there, to prove that I was strong enough to be there, working with all, you know, it was a male dominated career and department. And so that was definitely one thing, you know, and I did go in with the attitude that, you know what, I'm going to be a strong female and show other females that, you know, they can do this. And, and I still believe in that. And I still believe, you know, however, I do wish that early on, I really would have had somebody that had been there quite a while in their career tell me that it's okay to talk about stuff, that it's okay to purge some of that stuff and that I don't have to be afraid to share that. But when I honestly look back at it, when I joined in 2001, those guys that had been there for a long time, they didn't know that stuff either. They didn't know about mental health. They didn't know, and it was more still of a little bit of that good old boy system, and we don't talk about this stuff. And, you know, so I don't blame any of them for that because I do believe that that's how they were taught and they were trained is you don't show that things bother you. You just, we don't do it. You deal with it, however, and a lot of them dealt with it by, you know, having addictions and drinking and gambling and pornography and, you know, and self-medicating. And unfortunately, I dealt with it that way, too. I started using opiates and spent, you know, 28 days in rehab. But I do believe that they didn't talk about it either. And I think that it needs to start at the academy level. There needs to be a lot of training about this is what's going to happen. These are ways that you're going to feel and it's okay and it's normal and that you need to talk about it. And unfortunately, it's we're just not there yet. But I think with groups and different things like you and, you know, some of these other groups that I'm part of with, you know, Sarah and talking about things and bringing people in, I can remember thinking, am I the only one that feels this way? But I was too scared to ask anybody else because I didn't want to be seen as being weak. And now that I'm starting to meet people and learning that everybody has felt this way. And it's like, if I would have only known that, you know, I, things would have been so different and we need to talk about it. So yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. uh, Talking, I think communication is the biggest thing, you know, as cops we're trained, we need to communicate. Communicate, communicate, mm-hmm. communicate. That's how you de-escalate things. That's how you can talk people mm-hmm. off of ledges. That's how you can not have to, you know, draw your firearm or use your firearm or taser or spray or whatever it is, any tactical option. Uh, but we struggle to communicate with each other or even with ourselves. Yes. And we are is- so good at taking care of everybody else and so bad at self-care. So bad. We're yeah. so hard on ourselves and we do so many bad things to our bodies, you know, and because we don't know how else to deal with it and how to cope. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've come, I've, I've figured out a realization with a lot of people because I've worked with hundreds of people that want to join the police force, 
uh, you know, here in New Zealand. And uh, my goal is to help even more around the world. But I, what I've recognized is that every most people that I've found that are going into, uh, which is a huge driving factor of why they want to become a cop, is because of past traumas. And we talked about this a little bit the other day when we first kind of had a little yeah. bit of conversation. And do you believe that you brought in the uh, some of your driving factors of wanting to join the police was from your past traumas and that would drive you i do it? yeah i was sexually assaulted at a really young age and i had an officer that really helped me and i knew that that is something that i would be really good at and it was and a lot of times um I ended up with those calls just because the guys knew that I would do better taking that call than they would, especially if the, the victim was female. And I loved that our little department allowed us to switch a call if if something like that came up. And, and also I had a friend that was involved in a lot of domestic violence. And so I kind of took that on um, as well and was like the department liaison for that and now i have a huge passion with working with domestic violence victims as well and so i know that i did step into that role because i did want to be able to help people and i know that i have helped a lot of people and some people say with everything that happened to you and all the trauma that you went through would you do it again and I absolutely would do it again. I, I would because of the few that I did save and I did help. And I feel like the 20 years of my battles were worth that and that it was my calling. Yeah. So. I, I always say everything happens for us, not to us. You know, I've picked yeah. it up from one of uh, some, from some trainings that I did, you know, Tony Robbins says it all the time and I picked it mm -hmm. up from, from there and I really live by that now because if without the past experiences, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. So, yeah. uh, you know, same exact thing. I guess the other question I have with that is, so it drove you with it, gave you a lot of really good things from it. Do you believe that some of the, if you had been able to, did you, do you believe that you still, going into it, we're holding on to the past traumas of your childhood and your younger years uh, in a way that um, didn't help the traumas that you had that we see and deal with as law enforcement. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think that I felt like by taking that on as a career, that it would help me heal in some of those other areas. And I think maybe it did a little bit, but I also, knowing what I know now about mental health and trauma and stuff, um, those are things that I needed to go through some therapy and some counseling to heal myself. Because I think that I would have been even that much better than I was um, when I put that uniform on, I still was able to help and stuff, but I think that I was still very vulnerable because of those past traumas and that not only did I have my own stuff to deal with, but I started internalizing everybody else's stuff as well too. And then I was very weak 
and I hadn't healed when I got sexually assaulted again mm-hmm. and by my lieutenant. And so I never really did heal from that first one and I didn't do the work that I needed to. Yeah. And I was very vulnerable the second time. So, yeah. yeah, I'm so I'm sorry to hear that again. And we've talked about it, you know, before. And it's it's a yeah. horrible, it's a horrible it's a horrible thing. But as you said, and I believe it as well, if we can release our past traumas, then we can be a much better cop. We can be a much better person, and much better. Yeah, we can show up as us instead of our past traumas uh and so it's it's awesome that you can you can acknowledge that you can see that as well and for anybody listening work on it <laughs> all I can yeah definitely <laughs> because you'll be you'll be more you know i run a program that's called productive af or productive as fuck uh and mm-hmm. I, the reason i call it that is because you can look at productivity in different ways you know whether you want it for your career success or that but to be perfectly honest, productivity all comes from within. And we have to release those those inner demons, as I call them, to then be yes. more productive. And, you know, if you can release those, then you can be a productive person. You can be a productive spouse. You can be a productive, you know, brother, sister, and colleague. You know, as a first responder, you can be the most you – can, you can make the biggest impact because you are not being hindered or held back by your own your own demons as such. Uh, or, or Yeah. Um, so I have I have only a couple more questions for you, and then I want to talk about okay. what you do. Um, the big question that I have is uh, my one of my businesses is called Knocking Demon, uh, at the umbrella company because it's those demons, the traumas in our heads that are constantly going on uh, and working through those. And the other one's called Create from Why, and the reason it's called Create from Why is because my personal belief and from the, what I've done and the research that I've done and I've, I'm working with people is everybody has an underlying driving why. Mine's to create less pain. My why statement is create less pain for myself and others to create the best versions of ourselves. That's what I live from. Didn't identify it until I got out of the police actually, what it actually was when I was going through all this work on myself and soul finding and that. Uh, But Christy, what would you say your deep seated comes from your childhood? It's that thing that is never changes. It's that burning desire, that passion, purpose, people call it, but that why you'd have done everything you've done in your life. I would, I would definitely have to say that it's just that empathetic personality that I have. Um, I have always been that mediator between people fighting. I've always been that person that is the first one to jump in and help somebody. And I think that I don't like, to see pay people having pain and you know trauma and different things and i such a you know everybody says oh i like i just have that empathetic um personality and I can remember taking a personality test when I started with my second department and he started to tell me that I was only 5% of this personality type and I don't fit into being a cop. And because I'm very compassionate, I allowed people to touch me. I allowed people in my space. I would hug people. I would touch them. And that's not most, especially male cops are not like that. And I really think that that's what made me so good at what I did is because I 
was very compassionate and I felt things for people and it wasn't just black and white. I was that gray area. I could go black, I could go white, but I was here. And I believe that everybody wants to be seen and no matter where they come from and what their lifestyle is. And I just want people to know that I see them and I was good at my career because I made sure people knew that I saw them, especially when it came to victims, because a lot of times victims are just written off as that, just being a victim. And they're not just victims. They're somebody's dad or brother or son or uncle or grandfather. And I wanted to treat those people with the same respect that I would treat my own family member. And to me, that was my why because i wanted my family to be treated like that too and so i was very passionate about that that people needed to be seen and i still feel that way with my new adventures as well too were you like so, that before the place did you always want to help others or help yes be seen? yes that's always just been who i am and my personality have, so, you ever, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever actually put that into words and gone, hey, this is why I do everything that I do? Not until I went to a kind of a Tony Robbins type thing last year in February and really learned about, um, you know, my why and what gets me out of bed each day to keep moving, especially when I was in those really dark times. And... Um, it was that desire to just not only take care of my family, which is, you know, obvious, but um, because I feel like I'm not done yet, no matter, I might have a uniform on anymore, but I still have a reason that I'm here and I still have a calling, you know, to do what I can to, to help, help people. yourself and others be seen. Uh, do you know where yeah. it comes from? Do you know where it stems from the, uh, the, the sparking incident when you were a kid? I don't. I've often thought about it. I think it just has a lot to do with just how I was raised. And, you know, and especially by my grandmother, I just watched her. She was one of the most giving people. And and I, I watched her and I can remember that I always just felt so good around her. And I, I just loved the way that I felt when I was around her. And I, I saw how she helped people and how their trajectory changed because of that and i wanted to be that person too where i could help change somebody's trajectory by seeing them and showing them that i don't care what economy you came from or you know if you're living on the street or if you live in a mansion i'm going to treat you the same way because we all just want to be seen and you know we all assume that people with money are happy or that people who live on the streets are sad. You know, they have this and it's not like that. And it's, you know, people just want to be known and be heard. And I really felt like during my career, I gave that to them that I really heard and listened. I, so. I, I challenge you. And this is, I do this with my, with my, um, you know, clients that want to be cops and then also even current cops to help them reignite that flame and inside their job. One, find that why, which it sounds like you've done a really good job at. But two, it's also 
Uh, challenge you to go back and find the initial uh, incident. Normally, it's a painful one. And about 99% of the time, it's a painful incident that happened where you wanted to be seen the most. Uh, and I challenge okay. you to go back and, and, and earliest memory is normally pre seven, six, seven years old. Uh, it's the earliest memory and find that. And this goes for everybody out there. You know, it's, it's something that I coach people through on and it takes about a half hour, 45 minutes on it to find that why, find out where it comes from. Because once you find that, then you recognize that it drives everything. Then you, then we go through a process to test it, make sure that it is. And you've been running by that your whole life and why it's, you know, why you've done everything that you've done in that. Uh, but finding that initial incident, what it does is it, it, it instantly attaches emotion to it of a holy crap this is this happened and this happened for me uh mm -hmm. whereas at the moment there can be a thing of i'm not saying for you but for a lot of people there's a thing of this happened to me and so right. then i'm doing it so they're running on their why in a negative aspect or they're going you know that whole thing like i said around you know the traumas actually destroying mm -hmm. our placing career uh, because we're we're driving from that place of needing to change it needing to make it you know help people but the 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 it has to be changed. I have to change this for people instead of going, I get to, and I am, I am doing this because my why drives me to do it. Uh, so I challenge yeah. you to find that. The other thing that I ask, I also wonder, um, the question I have for you is you said you did a lot of helping victims being seen. How often did you apply that to the offender? Wow. I think, no, I, I don't think, I know. I also did that for the offender, but I know that as a human, I was judgmental mm -hmm. and there were certain crimes that I did not give that respect to the offender because of how I felt about that crime, mainly crimes against children. And I did not treat them the same because mm -hmm. I personally judged them, which I know is not my place. Um, but I did try to treat them with as much respect as they gave me. If they were respectable to me, then I also was respectful to them. Um, a lot of times it depended on how they treated me or others around me. Um, but I would say that if you asked most of the people that I, you know, arrested or put behind bars, most of them would probably say that I was probably one of the, the kindest of our department to them. So because I did. Yeah. And I did try to see again, too, this is somebody's son or daughter or, yeah. you know, and just made a mistake. And, you know, we our mistakes are our mistakes they're not a life sentence you know and i try to live by that even with myself the mistakes that i've made you know when i start punishing myself and going back into my head and thinking i was a failure or what a bad person i was or whatever i really have to tell myself you know that was a season in my life i'm here now and it wasn't a life sentence it was something that happened for me so that i could learn and now i can stand in front of people today and say you know, I made these mistakes, but this is what I learned. And now I can share that with you. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I just come back to, and this is for, you know, for those listening that are, you know, that are first responders are wanting to be, and this is, it makes it so important. If we think back to, okay, you're wise, you want to be, you, you want to be seen and you want others to be seen. 
You know, you want, you yeah. want that to be having, you know, it, our whys apply to ourselves first and then they apply to others. Uh, so you want to be seen, you want others to be seen, but yet you, you saw victims and they were very seen in that. But when it came to offenders, especially around certain crimes, it wasn't, if you're honest with yourself, how do you feel about your policing career when you think of obviously every person needs to be seen, but I didn't see offenders at the highest level. I, I, I'm proud of my career and I really do think, yeah, I do think that for the most part that I was that person that treated them with respect and, um, and, and I do know that there were some that I judged and, you know, I've had to make peace with myself for that. Um, but I, I think that there's not enough officers with this type of personality out there that are willing to be empathetic and compassionate. Um, it's very black and white and this is how we do things. And, you know, I already got your story. I don't care how you felt. I don't care what drove you to do that. This is what you did type thing. And whereas I was more concerned with, you know, the way that the feelings were and, and different things that happened and, and, but it also was good balance too. I think I balanced a lot of my coworkers out as well too when I helped them because I could be that person and we could kind of, you know, black and white and I could kind of come in and be that middle yeah. person too as no, well. That, 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 that's, that's excellent. Do you feel like um, you were seen enough in your career? For you? Like, did you see yourself enough? I saw everybody, but I treated myself like crap. Mm. I was very, when I had my suicide attempt, my thinking behind that was I have helped so many people and saved so many lives, but I didn't feel like I was worthy enough to mm. be here. And that was my thinking at the time. And, but I didn't know what to do with those feelings. I didn't, I didn't, but you know, it, it took, it took a lot of work, but no, I didn't see myself. I still struggle with that. I'm a lot better at it now. I mean, I'm the healthiest now that I have been since my career started, but I think that we're all just really hard on ourselves because we have these emotions and these feelings and we don't know what to do with it. And then we start coming out towards our families and we start snapping at our spouses and our children. And we know that we're doing it and we recognize it, but we don't know how to stop it. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves, you know, maybe getting divorced. And then we find ourselves self-medicating with alcohol and drugs and pornography and gambling and even video games. You know, if you're going and playing a video game. We all have addictions. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, because we don't know what to do with these feelings. And we don't, if we 
be if we're seen as being not stable we get our guns taken away if we get our guns taken away we can't work the streets and then it's a punishment if we get stuck in dispatch or if we tell somebody this really bothered me you know this one scenario then you feel like well those officers don't want to work with me anymore because i just told them that i was weak and i mean I created so many stories in my head that, you know, and where they came from, I don't know. Four years ago, I told everybody I was such a failure because I didn't make my 20-year retirement. I only made 17, but I had been injured in the line of duty, and I had a noble career, and yet I was so convinced that I was a failure because I didn't make my 20 year career. And finally somebody asked me, well, who told you that? And I was like, well, what do you mean? I said, it's just known that you make your 20 year career. If you don't make 20 years, then you're a failure, you know? And it's the stupidest story that I created in my head. But I, I was tell people I'm a failure. I saved lives and I helped people and I impacted other people's lives, but I'm a failure now because I didn't go 20 years because I had to medically retire at 17. And is that not like just the stupidest thing, but I was so convinced it's, that it's, I was it's, just, it's, it's funny. It's funny. You know, and the reason that I asked you if you feel like you were seen is because first responders, as we've talked about, we all put everybody else first. We give yes. everything to everybody else. We are the one, we are the savior. We run towards gunfire, the explosions, everything. You literally watch any incident, you watch 9-11. You know, I'll use that because it's a massive one and everybody knows it. Who is running yeah. towards the buildings? Well, everyone right. else is running away. Even while there's dust flying everywhere, who is running towards them? The issue comes in, and yes, we have to, we do that because we do it and because we are passionate. But the issue becomes, and this is where cops can become destructive. You can get things like, and I'm going to bring it up, even though it's controversial, you get things like the George Floyd thing. I watched that guy and I went, he's in so much pain and he is so far disconnected, he doesn't even think what he's doing is wrong. Right or wrong, whatever, you're, it doesn't matter. But what it is, is that you look into his eyes and there's nothing there. Yeah. For his fault or not, there's nothing there. And this is because it comes down to we don't look after and we don't apply our why to ourselves. Yeah. We consistently do it to everybody else. And that's why uh, that's my hallucination is that it hit a, such a chord with you because it's like, actually, no, I didn't apply my why to me. You are now. Yeah. You're working on it. But this is why also taking that and finding that initial um, time when it started then makes you go, fuck, I need to look at, I need to apply this to me and then I need to apply it to others because I can't apply it to others. That oxygen mask thing can't apply it to others unless I apply it to myself. And yeah, it's, it's real. I, I, and I feel for those listening first responders and that is do this, do the work. You know, I run programs around this to help people find it and implement it and lock it in, but you can do it yourself. It's easier with somebody else and I'll, I'll put my, you know, put my thing out there, but it's easier with somebody else. As you know, you've got your program, which we'll talk about here in just a second, but you, you have to, you have to look after you because you can't run towards that building if you're not in the right headspace. Otherwise you're right. not giving everything to the people that you come across. Yeah. And then you and get destroyed the, the and one... you lose, you lose out on those three years. You lose, you know, you, yeah. All that starts to happen and then you start to beat yourself up because you know you could have done better. Right, right before wrong, I changed yeah. departments, 
the last one of the last things before I changed departments and I knew the burnout was major is I dealt with a lot of drunk um, a certain culture and you know they were Native Americans over and over and over and one day I rolled up on one and I mean to the point where I knew his date of birth his social security number like I you know and I caught myself about to kick him in the head like in a like I was gonna punt a football and I stopped myself and I stepped back and I was like holy crap I don't know who this person is that just was about to kick another human being in the head because of a problem that he has because of a problem that his culture has because I've dealt with him so many times and I had to take a step back and I knew that this person that was standing there was somebody that I didn't like and I didn't even want to look at myself in the mirror. I had, I was so burned out. I, I had become somebody that I was so ashamed of and it was a real big eye opener on, you know, talking about being disconnected and I was right there and I, I didn't like that person at all. Mm. And I'm ashamed that, I mean, it, again, that was a season of my life and a headspace that I was not healthy in, but so disappointing in myself, even to think about it now. And you know, so, it, it's funny. And again, it happened for you. So you could learn from it. You, you caught yeah. yourself and went, whoa, wait a second. And I have, I have lots of those stories as well, like towards the end, especially, yeah. uh, but I think it's also recognizing for everybody that's still listening, it's recognizing that everything we've talked about today can help prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. Or if you're on that pathway, it can shift the trajectory. And remembering yes. that, as I said in the very beginning of this, take one thing. There has been a ton of different nuggets from both of us in this episode on how you can be the absolute best police officer or first responder or person. Yeah. And so it's just take one of those things because as many people say, you shift one or two degrees today and you do that and you consistently stick with just that one thing that continuously shifts you two degrees and 365 days, you're going to be somewhere completely different. The trajectory is going to just expand exponentially. So continuously just doing one thing and then once you're like yeah this is habit this is uh wow what am i doing again because it's just there then grabbing another thing come back and listen again or listen to the next episode whatever it is or get a coach you know you have myself or christy is going to talk to us about how she helps people with um, addiction here in just a second but you know i help people become the most productive that they can be within their own lives that's what we do we prevent the burnout, we create performance, and you will become productive all from starting from that why and identifying it. Um, so you can reach out to me or Christy, I want you to tell people what you do because you do some stuff around addiction and that is really powerful. Uh, tell us about what it is that you do and how people can get in touch with you. Okay, so I've recently started my own business um, coaching um, an addiction recovery coach and working with first responders, um, any kind of addiction. It doesn't just have to be drugs or alcohol, um, pornography, gambling, video games, you know, whatever it is. But I also focus on kind of finding that why. And then there's, you know, five steps that um, I truly believe in 
or five rules and that I focus with my clients. One is, you know, to be open, um, mostly with yourself to be open. Um, if you're going to hold back, you know, you're not going to move forward and you're not going to heal. The second one is, you know, don't hide. Um, kind of along with being open. The third one is to be present. And in everything that you do, be present, be there with your family, with your job, with your career, um, and recognize those those areas that you're not. And then working on just being all in, you know, if you're gonna do something, then do your very best and be all in. And then the last one is never give up. And I apply these five steps when I work with my clients um, and we talk about four major areas, um, physical, spiritual, relational, and financial. And those are kind of the what I call the big four. And we kind of focus on daily things in those areas. And I run basically like a 12-week program if they want to sign up. Um, I, I do a 12-week block. And I don't have a website yet because I'm still trying to get that going. But I'm on Instagram. It's milemarker28. Um, 28 days in rehab, 28 is just a number that's personal to me um, on Instagram or Facebook or um, my, I think you have my email and phone number that can also be posted as well too. Okay. Yeah. And I give a free consultation to anybody that even just wants to call and see if, if I would be a good fit for them. Um, I'm not a sponsor as far as, you know, somebody going to AA or whatever. I'm not that, that sponsor. Um, I'm, you know, more of a coach. I'm not a therapist, um, but somebody to kind of get their life back on track and get, take back their focus, especially with themselves. And, really put some focus on themselves so that they can start to focus again on their family and, and those relationships that may have been, um, you know, damaged due to an addiction or just, you know, the trust that I broke a lot of trust in my addiction. You know, I damaged some relationships. And when I got out of rehab, I was like, now what, you know, what do I do with all this now that I just learned? And so that's kind of where I'm at is, you know, not necessarily somebody that's been to rehab, but if you're struggling with some kind of addiction, you know, I, I would love to help you get back on track or, you know, discover what it is that trauma or what it is that you're trying to mask because it's usually not about the substance. It's about the trauma that you're trying to mask. Yeah. And so. Awesome. No, I love it. I love it. So if you are wanting, you know, assistance in there, uh, reach out to Christy. Everything's down in the comments, uh, you know, the, the description down below, uh, there'll be a link there to her Instagram and her email and that. So, so reach out to her alternatively, obviously you can reach out to me around the productivity around creating the most productive, uh, you know, life or self that you want. Um, and you know, you can reach out to me or if you have more questions, are you struggling to get a hold of Christy, just email us at team, uh, team at Thank you. create from why.com. Uh, so yeah. Uh, last question I have for you, uh, Christy is, uh, what is your top tip to self happiness? To self happiness. I, I think that it definitely is you just have to you just have to be open you have to be honest with yourself and if there's something that you have not squared away within yourself 
um, get that fixed. Take a step back and see what it is that's holding you back. If you're secretly having an affair or you're addicted to something and you know that you're not doing right and it's not hurting your family yet because nobody knows about it, but it's hurting the way that you act, is just take care of all the the little things, the hangups that are holding you back from healing, from being productive, and just from being your best self. And, you know, look at that yourself in the mirror. And if you can't look at yourself in the eyes, and if there's something holding you back, then take care of whatever that problem is, because you're going to continue to stumble over that no matter what situation you're in, whether you appear happy or you have, you know, a good family life and things are going good. If there's that one hang up that you haven't dealt with, because you're ashamed or you're too scared to talk about it, or you think that people are going to judge you, just be open and don't hide and take care of it so that you can free yourself. Because when you finally free yourself, it is the most amazing feeling ever. And then you just feel like you can take on the world. Yeah. So, so, so very true. Um, so we will wrap up now. Thanks for listening. Remember, take that one thing, that one thing from today and just run with it. Uh, that's all you need to do and your life will change and it will never be the same again. Uh, Thank you for listening. Make sure you like, subscribe, uh, comment. Let us know what you thought of the episode, what you want to hear more from first responders. Uh, and till next time, we love you all. Stay safe out there. Do your best and be the best version of you because that's all you can be. You cannot change anybody else, but you can show up and show people what you can actually be like. So uh, till next time, we love you all and we will talk to you then.